Well, here we are, family. This is Coach Steph and Dr. Angela, and I am so glad you are listening and watching as well. Today, we are going to discuss Dr. Angela's research on joy. You will hear on every episode that we ask each guest, how has joy found you recently? And part of our hope for this podcast is to help you become more open to joy. And that's what Dr. Angela does all the time. And even if you're grieving, we hope that we can help you in some small, tiny way, find a bit of joy in your day. Today, we're going to talk with my sister, Dr. Angela Williams-Gorell, about what she learned while studying joy at Yale University. Hi, Dr. Angela. Hello. Good to see Coach <laughs> Steph. And thanks to everyone who's either listening or watching and listening. We're so glad to have you with us today. And I'm really eager to tell you about our research on joy at Yale and what it has to do with grief and suffering. Me too. I'm excited to listen. Dr. Ange, can you describe your work at Yale and what were you hired to do there? <laughs> yeah. Studying joy was my job. I know that sounds really strange, but that's the truth. True story. I was finishing up my doctoral work um, at Fuller Seminary in Los Angeles, loved living in LA, loved going to school at Fuller. And I was, so I was a struggling PhD student in the sense that I was living paycheck to paycheck, to be honest, and applied for this job at Yale through a series of events that I won't get into. And in March of 2016, I was, get, I was called and, and offered a job on a research team that was studying joy. And on the one hand, first, I was just like over the moon to be able to pay my bills, right? Anyone who's listening who is just looking for steady work, you know what it feels like to be excited just to pay your bills. But secondly, you know, when you finish up a PhD, a lot, there's a lot of nervousness around like, who will hire me? Will I get a job in the academy? You know, what, what school will I work for if I do get a job doing what, blah, blah, blah. And so the fact that I was going to work at Yale University right after getting my PhD and to be on this incredible research team was just more than I could have ever dreamt or imagined, really. And so I was hired to be on Miroslav Volf. He is, Miroslav is Croatian. He's lived in the United States, though, since the 90s. And he um, it's a professor at Yale Divinity School, and he's the founder of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. And at that time, they received a grant from the, the John Templeton Foundation to study joy for three years. And so he got to hire, you know, like four PhD, you know, four people who had just recently finished their PhDs to be on his team. And I'm really lucky to say that I was one of them. Five of us, excuse me, five of us. And I'm really lucky that I was one of those five people. And so for three years, we had a few different jobs. One of them was to read about and write about joy ourselves as scholars. Another was to bring scholars together across every discipline you can imagine. But they, and we tried to find the best emerging or junior scholars in the world. So like younger scholars and the best older, more experienced scholars that we could find in every discipline around the world. And 240, like, or across as many disciplines as, as possible. So everything from, like, theology to philosophy, um, psychologists and literature professors. I mean, you name it, we brought them in if they were great at, at, their, at their job. So we had 243 scholars 
from over 140 institutions contribute to the research of the Joy Project. And so that's what I got to do. And then the third thing was that we taught this class called Life Worth Living. And so that was my job, study joy, teach a class called Life Worth Living. And it was pretty incredible. I mean, I remember when all of this was happening for you and you actually drove cross country and stayed at my house while you packed up your truck and and spent a night or two with me. I just remember being so fascinated. How can somebody get a job studying joy? What a cool opportunity, right? What a neat thing. And so I want to ask you, because I think our listeners or people viewing like have the same question in a way as what is joy actually? Like, how would you define the word joy? Yeah. So I wouldn't have defined it this way. Initially, this is years in the making. That's the first thing I want to say. And secondly, there's lots of definitions of joy in my book, The Gravity of Joy. So there's several different ways of thinking about this. It's important for everyone to know that I'm drawing on the work of numerous scholars. And so, so sometimes when I say a definition, I might be sort of combining the thoughts of several different people or drawing in others' thoughts. But some of my favorite definitions of joy are that joy is an illumination. Joy is the ability to see beyond to the something more. So there's this sense when we experience the feeling of joy that there's something more to the moment, to the experience, to the object, to the group, to the community thing that's happening among us than what we can actually see with our, our eyes. Mm. That there is something more going on. There's a deeper or more profound connection. There's an aliveness, you know. Secondly, I would say joy is the recognition of and the connection we feel to meaning, truth, beauty, goodness, one another, God. So when we have a sense in a moment during an experience that there is something meaningful or we notice meaning and we feel like it has something to do with our lives, that brings us joy. Mm. The same is true for beauty, for goodness, for truth. And then especially, I think it makes a lot of sense to all of us, right? When we feel deeply connected to God, and when we have a transcendent moment, or we feel deeply connected to other people, that can often bring us joy. Mm. And then finally, connected to what I just said around God is joy is the very being and presence of God ministering to us. Wow. I've been speaking about joy primarily right then as an emotion or a feeling, mm -hmm. but joy is also a virtue. It is a characteristic. And it is an action. Let me walk through that really quickly. Joy is a feeling in the sense of, of when something happens, like we had this illumination, right? Then I feel this warm feeling of joy come over me and I give myself over to it. Joy as a virtue is that we can kind of imagine that joy is in front of us and we're like, I am working to be open to joy. I want to look for joy in my life and I want to cultivate a life that is ready for joy. And then joy in terms of a characteristic is some people I think are blessed with the spiritual gift of joyfulness. They are particularly joyful people, you know, and so that's a sort of it's a, a natural instinct in some people to just kind of walk around with joyfulness. And then finally, 
joy can be an action in the sense of rejoicing. I don't think we can choose the feeling of joy. We can't be like, I want to feel joy right now. So I'm going to make myself feel joyful. Joyfulness is a gift and feeling joy is a gift. But we can choose to rejoice. We can choose to find something good, meaningful, beautiful, truthful, and rejoice over it. Mm. So I just wanted to distinguish that too. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating to hear all the different descriptions. Me, you, I, sometimes you think of joy as a verb. You say the act of joy or the doing of it. And then other times in my mind, it's more like a noun. It's like a thing. Joy is a tangible thing. I think that in that context of when we talk about joy in general, that there are many ways to express joy, to feel joy, to be open to joy. It's amazing how literally a word with just three letters in the alphabet can be so powerful. And to share with people the idea that joy is actually possible or potentially possible, at least in the midst of suffering and grief. Dr. Angela, why do you think joy is possible when we're suffering or when we're grieving? Well, it has to do with all the definitions that I just shared. I think that even in the midst of grieving, even in the midst of pain or suffering, we can have illuminations, right? And sometimes we have the most profound illuminations about what life is really for, what makes life worth living when we're grieving, because that's when we're acutely aware of what matters most. Mm. So I think we have sometimes the greatest, like joy is most, like we, we can experience the deepest kinds of joy as we are grieving because we're so acutely aware that there is something more than just meets the eye. There's, there's a sort of, I think, like a sixth sense going on there. And then also I would say in the midst of suffering is when we're open to it, God can minister to us even as we are suffering and really even and especially in suffering. Mm -hmm. And so if joy is the feeling of God ministering to us, of God being present to us, that is, God is a witness God to our pain. God is with us in our pain. And so for me, suffering becomes this really incredible time where God can be especially close to us and present to us. And then when it comes to recognition of and connection to like meaning, truth, beauty, goodness, that's all possible even when we're grieving. When we are suffering, when we are sorrowful, we can still find meaning, find truth, find us in the world, experience beauty, experience connection with others. And, and feel like it has something to do with our life. So none of the definitions of joy that I just offered don't work for the experience of suffering and grieving. In fact, the amazing news today is that you might actually feel joy more deeply in the midst of grieving and suffering. That's what I was going to mention is that you hear people talk about the idea. And for me personally, I experienced that, that when you are in the most deep depths of despair, and you've experienced that utter rock bottom of despair, that when that joy is somehow sparked in your life, externally, internally, or you're seeking it finally, you feel it on a much deeper level. I feel like, obviously, we're happy when great things happen. And the difference between joy and happiness, that's a whole other episode. 
but we're also feeling joyful about an experience that's been put in front of us. And I was truly like, wow, like, wow, I really feel this joyfulness on a whole different level. I'm truly grateful for being able to feel joy again. And that was a really, really powerful healing tool for me. And for those listeners who don't know, Dr. Angela and I, we experienced four losses in a seven-week time period. And so our grief journey was, we thought there was a low when it first started, and then the low got lower, and then the low got lower. For us to dig ourselves out of that took a really, really long time. And those are some of the obstacles, I think, that, or can you talk about Dr. Angela, what are some of the obstacles to joy or to being open to joy? Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is a good time to say that those deaths that occurred that people have heard us talk about that really were the thing that ignited this podcast. And for us have been, that's been our journey of grief. Those seven weeks is like working through them and it's taken six years to get there so far, right? To try to be in the place that we are today to talk about it in the way that we are. But those deaths, that happened eight months into the joy project. So here I was eight months into studying joy, trying to think about it, trying to define it with other people, trying to think about how I wanted to write about it. And then these seven weeks happen. And for me personally, I lose three family members in four weeks. And so I'm trying to do this work in the midst of profound grief. So for a year and a half, I struggled to, you know, when I got to Yale, I, I wanted to read everything that I could get my hands on about joy. I was just so excited as I was just talking about. And then after those weeks of hell, it was like, study joy? Absurd. Joy felt shallow and it felt trivial in a world that was suffering. Hmm. And so for a year and a half, I really did the bare minimum in my job when it came to, like, I did teach. I did meet with other scholars, but I wasn't doing any of my own work or study or writing on it because I couldn't. I couldn't imagine it, actually. And then I became a chaplain at a women's prison, and you'll hear a little bit more about that work in an episode that we do with a woman named Stephanie Mays. It's an incredible episode. So you'll hear, hear more about that work, and I'm sure I'll, I'll tell you more in the future, but really working with women, being a volunteer with women who are incarcerated, specifically with women on suicide watch, that's when things began to shift for me. I began to wonder, what does our work on joy have to say to these women's suffering and to my family's suffering? Is joy possible in the midst of suffering, mm -hmm. right? And what I realized, and then I also have to give major props to my, my colleague and my friend, Willie James Jennings, he gave a lecture on joy at Yale. And during his lecture, he said a couple of things that totally changed my life. The whole trajectory of my writing and my, re and my research and my career. And one of the things that he said was that joy is a work of resistance against despair. Mm. As we posture ourselves for joy, as we become open to joy, as we look for joy in our lives, that is a work an active work, a form of resistance against despair. And then the other thing he said is that we can make our pain productive without glorifying or justifying suffering. So we don't have to glorify what happened to us. We don't have to justify the pain in our lives, which for me was really good news. But we can do something generative in it, with it, 
And I feel like that's what this podcast is. The Grief Sisters is an effort on our part to do something meaningful, generative with the pain that we have experienced, right? Some of the obstacles to pain, to joy, didn't come up for me until after I had become this volunteer chaplain. And then I was able to look back and go, what was getting in the way of me living open to joy? And one was fear. I had an incredible fear of death after those weeks. I don't know about you, Steph, but I was so scared of the next phone call, the next text. Like, when am I gonna, when am I gonna lose someone else that I loved? And then I, for the first time, thought about my own mortality a lot, where I was just like, when am I gonna die? And I just was so scared when the, the shoe the other shoe was going to drop. And I felt like our, actually both shoes had already dropped, but like what else could happen? Right, right. First of all, as you mentioned, we collectively lost four family members in a seven-week time period. The It was bookended by you had a loss in your family that I that was a, a distant family member that I'm not familiar with. And then on the end of it, was my step-grandfather, because Dr. Angela and I come from from blended families, so to speak, and we share the same dad. And dad was one of the people that we lost in that middle part. So it was my son, Mason, and dad. And so when you talk about the idea that you were fearful, man, I still am a lot of times. The fear is a difficult thing to overcome or to fight back against because we lost the first two people that we lost were young and were not the typical grandpa in the hospital or grandma in the nursing home. These were people whose lives should have gone on long after we were out of this world. Yeah, I think it was the suddenness, especially of Mason's death and then my family member Dustin's death to suicide. The suddenness of those two for me is like really what triggered a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, wow you can just lose someone out of nowhere. And also, oh, wow, you can have something, someone you could love can have like a heart condition and you just like don't know. And so it was, there was all this fear. And when you are afraid, it's hard to see anything else other than the fear, right? It's hard to recognize, oh, the world is beautiful. The world is good. I'm connected to others. God, I'm connected to God. God is present to me. It's hard to realize anything but that fear. Right. So one of the obstacles to joy that we have to work through is our feelings of being terrified, afraid. And then the other, and then I'll, I'll speak to this and to the constructive work, but is, is anger. I was a very angry person for a while. And I was angry, not in the sense, it was like a generalized anger. It wasn't like I was constantly biting people's heads off or anything. I wasn't hostile. Like I wasn't breaking things. I just walked around like generally upset that the world had shifted and there was nothing I could do about it. I was just generally frustrated with life. And so I just found every day I would like wake up angry. Just like the world has changed and there's nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm. There's a, a frustration that does come into play there too. And, uh, you know, as I said earlier, the apple cart was upset because we have this expectation of who's going to die first. Like that's what your whole life. I'll probably lose my dog because they only live about 17, 18 years. But other than that, it's going to be grandma and grandpa. And then maybe my parents when I'm in my 60s or 70s, I'll be dealing with that. So when you have something that really upsets that or you have someone die of suicide or 
like my son, Mason, who died of a sudden cardiac arrest and was a 22-year-old healthy person. It's, first of all, as we talk about in another episode, that's put you in phase one of grief, the shock that you feel. I think that almost numbing shock is also an obstacle to joy along with the fear. I personally didn't have, oddly enough, a lot of anger. I used to actually tell my husband after Mason passed away, like all the bull crap that I thought about or worried about was out the window. I told Steve that there is no room in my heart except for love. There is no space in my life for anyone who is angry or upset. I couldn't even get to that space of anger because I think I was so heartbroken. And because we quickly, less than a week after Mason's funeral, lost dad. And then a couple of weeks after that, I lost my grandpa, Bill. You're talking about the the shoes drops. We had three or four shoes drops. You know, we had extra pairs of shoes. And so we were, who's next? I hate to say it, but you're, you're literally walking around thinking like, who's next? Because it's possible now. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And so I think for me, the anger part was related to the powerlessness of addiction and suicide and also just how the world is. So for you, I think you looked and you said, I'm so sad and so brokenhearted. I can't possibly be angry. And I looked and I said, the world is so sad and such a broken place. I'm so angry about it. Mm -hmm. And so we just had different responses to the events. You know, what you brought up is so important too. When we're numb, it's, we can't feel joy because when we're numb, we're not, we don't want to feel anything. So if an event has numbed us or we're numbing ourselves with substances or gambling or any other sorts of things, right, then it's difficult to feel joy because we're not feeling anything. Mm -hmm. So all of these are obstacles to joy, numbness, anger, fear, and shock. What we have to do is to try to put ourselves into a place where we're able to feel feelings constructively because feelings work their way out from within us, whether we want them to or not. And they either are destructive along the way to us and to others, or they are constructive and generative. Feelings are teachers. Feelings signal things. And so I encourage you, if you're experiencing, if you're having trouble allowing joy to find you, if you're struggling to feel open to joy and to feel good at all in your life, I encourage you to spend some time expressing your feelings, numbness, working through them in the sense of like, I feel this. Why do and then what are you feeling? Where do you feel it in your body? What is triggering this feeling? I'm trying to describe it in every way, shape, and form, right? And then try to find ways to express that feeling. And we'll have more about this in the future and resources that we're going to have. And in other episodes, we talk a bit about working constructively through our feelings. But those are some of the, the main obstacles to joy. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to bring up food because it seems like in every episode, we end up bringing up food in some way, shape or form. And so we apologize to our listeners because we probably make you hungry in some way, shape or form as well. You briefly touched on earlier in the podcast, you write in your book, The Gravity of Joy, um, that we can't make joy like spaghetti. What do you mean by that? 
Yeah. So I was alluding to this earlier, but I can't just give you a to-do list and be like, if you do A, B, and C, you are most certainly going to feel joy. Mm -hmm. You know, there are gateways to joy and we can talk about some of those, which make it more possible. But the feeling of joy is a gift. It is not something that we work for, that we pay for. I think that actually this is a good time to distinguish joy from happiness. Mm -hmm. Happiness, like you said, we could dedicate an entire episode to happiness versus joy. But theologically speaking, and I think that's important for me to, to note, is like I'm a theologian. I'm not a psychologist. So psychologist or psychiatrist might distinguish happiness from joy in other ways. But as someone who studies the transcendent and really isn't like who li who is interested in the intersection between mental and spiritual health, I'll say that happiness is not modifiable in ways that joy joy is, right? So happiness, like joy, there's exuberant joy where you're just excitedly jumping up and down over something. There's sobering, quiet, transformative joy where you just realize in a moment that you've had this illumination and something shifts in your spirit and it calms you and centers you. There's like a resting joy where you're in awe. It's very close, I would say, to awe or bliss. You know, so joy is just like this beautiful emotion because it's very, very modifiable and you can have all different kinds of it, whereas happiness is not that way. The other thing about happiness is it tends to be pleasure. It tends to feel like pleasure, whereas my friend, my former boss and my friend Miroslav Wolf, as I was talking about earlier, Miroslav says that joy is pleasure plus meaning. Mm. So if happiness is pleasure, happiness tends to be the feeling that we have when we assess our circumstances and we think they're really good and enough, and then we feel happy about it. So we look at our bank account and we go, ooh, I have lots of money. I'm super happy about that. Or we kiss our person and it just brings us like tingly, pleasury feelings that could move into joy or it could just be in a moment like we feel happy about our relationship or we feel happy and we look at our living room and we just redesigned it and we have great furniture in it. And we're like, oh, I'm really happy about this. Right. So generally, happiness is pleasure over good circumstances in our life. Mm. Joy can be tied to good circumstances or not. The good news about joy is that life can be very, very terrible and we can still experience joy. It's not tied to good circumstances. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's what I was saying earlier, right? It's more tied to the sense of the something more, the recognition of meaning, truth, beauty, goodness, the things we can't touch or necessarily see, but that we know are real around us, right? So joy is a much more profound deep emotion that transcends particular circumstances mm -hmm. and we feel joy less often than happiness. You bring to mind a specific example that you use in the gravity of joy for me. And that was that Mason passed away. We found out on January 6, 2017, but come to find out the day he passed away was most likely January 2nd. And we're really confident on that date now. Yeah. And darned if it wasn't two years to the date, January 2nd, when, and I get teary-eyed thinking about it, when my granddaughter was born. And that was not an accident. It is not an accident that she was born on that day. And first of all, the joy I felt when I knew she was coming. Yeah. And the joy 
I almost knew her due date was right. And I'm like, she's coming on the second. That's my vote, you know, and just the anticipation of that. I feel like anticipation in a way is connected to joy. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Now on that day, the joyfulness that I have for her in my life and also the struggle I have for who's no longer here is just smashed together so hard. It's it they collide in a way in my heart and in my soul that is frankly undescribable. I only hope and pray that people out there that have grief like I've had have a time when they're able to feel both of those at the same time because it's as you say exuberant and all your descriptive words are so much better than mine, but it's it's frankly undescribable and it's it's so incredibly meaningful and I feel it right. now even yeah. though it's not January 2nd well yeah and that's what I would call backward looking joy which is the, a gift, right? Because we can have forward-looking joy and backward-looking joy. And so even if in your life you're struggling to feel joy or to be open to it in your life, one of the things I would encourage you to do is just like Coach Steph did, to look back at moments in your life when you felt deep joy and to tell yourself that story again. Like, where were you? Were you with other people? Were you in nature? What did it? And then go to all your senses. What did it smell like? feel like? What could I see? What could I taste? Who was I with? And take yourself back to that story. And then and then, oftentimes you can feel that joy again, and sometimes even more acutely, very much like you did just now. You felt that the joy and the sorrow that collided in that day. And, and that was, right? There was a deeper thing that was happening there on that day. It wasn't just that your granddaughter was born on January 2nd. It was that your son also died on this day. And that death and life were mysteriously intertwined. And in that mystery, you felt that God met you, I think, right? You felt a deeper connection to the universe. And there's this thing. And even right now, it's like I'm getting like tingling sensations all over my body, like talking about it, thinking about the gift that that day was to you and the ways that it helped to contribute to your healing, not from grief but just a tenderness that you felt in that day from God. So absolutely, joy and sorrow can live closely together. They can live, they live in our hearts intertwined all the time, especially on big days in our lives. Like the day you send your child to kindergarten, joy and sorrow, it's all colliding in your heart. The day you graduate, uh, graduations, weddings, funerals, All of that, those kinds of days, joy and sorrow collide. And then every time that two teams are playing in a football stadium or a basketball arena, we can see it there too. There's this joy and sorrow that collides. And so it actually happens on more days than we realize. And it's a very common thing. And what I like to tell people is whenever you're feeling something, and this is borrowing from Maggie Smith um, in her work, and she says, whenever you're feeling something, Your heart is not broken. It's working. Mm. You're feeling fear or anger or joy or sorrow or joy and sorrow all at the same time. Your heart is not broken. It's working. Mm. It's doing its job. Mm. 
I obviously was brokenhearted. And as we all are throughout many different times in our life, Angela and I, our dad divorced your mom and divorced my mom. And so we've had heartbreak even from a very young age. And I think that um, you often look for something to replace the hole in your heart or the crack in your heart. And that somehow, some way that seems impossible. Mm-hmm. And realize that there are many people watching or listening who are literal, and we say this more often than not in a podcast, we realize and we hold space with you that some of the things that we're saying, you're like, I can't even, I can't even. Right. Period. I will never feel good again. So don't even try. Like, you know, take all of your positivity and shove it. Literally, there are many people out there who validly, I have to say, very validly feel that way. And we want you to know that those feelings are normal, that the feeling you have in your mind that you're crazy or that you're reliving things over and over and over again. All of those things are very, very normal. And we encourage you to talk to someone about that. We encourage you to find a therapist. There are lots of options now online. We encourage you to find a grief group, to join one of our groups, to seek out some help so that you can find a way to maybe fill that space in your heart a little bit. And I want you to talk about, as you said before, a few gateways to joy. But before that, I wanted to touch on one other thing that Dr. Angela, you use an analogy called the flashlight analogy. When you speak about joy, tell me what that even means. Well, if you can imagine holding a flashlight in your hand, and I invite you to, if you're watching and listening or just listening to imagine that you're holding a flashlight in your hand. Whenever you have a flashlight in your hand, whatever you put it on is illuminated, right? It it comes to the light and you can see it more clearly. And it oftentimes then drowns out everything else around it. Mm. So similarly, I think we kind of walk through life on a daily basis, including today, with a flashlight. And my question for you to reflect on is what are you pointing, what are you looking for with your flashlight? Because I I think oftentimes we find what we're looking for. So if you're looking for joy, I don't mean this. I don't, we we don't want to sound like we're encouraging toxic positivity because that's not what we're doing. We're not saying look for happiness, like your circumstances need to be positive and great. I wish you all the happiness in the world for the record. I think happiness is a great emotion and I, I wish it for you. But I am saying today that you can look for joy in the sense of like being open to finding more meaning, stumbling upon beauty, stumbling upon the fact that there there's still goodness to be found. You know, you're walking around with the assumption that you will feel connected to other people at some point in your life again. You're walking around with the assumption that God is looking for you. God is seeking you, as Howard Thurman says. He had this beautiful meditation in Meditations of the Heart where Thurman says, I'm seeking God, I'm seeking God, I'm trying to find God. All the while, I I realized suddenly God was seeking me. Mm. And so it's this, the flashlight is the recognition that that which I am seeking is also seeking me Mm. and that which I am looking for, I'm more likely to stumble upon. Mm. 
encourage you to just do some reflecting today about like what what are you where what are where are you pointing your flesh what are you looking for what are you hoping to stumble upon in your what are you in what way because like you said um you talked about anticipation being integral to joy it's absolutely true right we live being postured for joy being open to joy is about anticipating that it could find you Mm -hmm. living expectantly and so that's one thing that I really encourage listeners today to do is to live expectantly, live like this with open hands, expecting that joy can find you. Yes. I wonder if you feel like it could be the opposite too. I work in the health and fitness and accountability space and do life coaching and have for many years. I often say what you focus on will come true. Would you say that using that flashlight analogy and focusing on the negative or focusing on things you can't change or leaving that light on things that are not serving you could also not leave you open to joy because you're just literally leaving that. I feel vision at leaving the flashlight stuck on the ugly thing instead of let's go out in the night and start looking around for you know right well because we only else. have so yeah we only have so much perspective right we can we only have so much we can see at once because we're humans and we are restricted in how much we can take in or think about at any one time and so if what we are focused on entirely is our fear and we're expecting i'm going to be scared i'm going to be angered by someone today I'm going, the other shoe is going to drop for sure. People are going to be rude to me and there's no goodness to be found anymore. And we live in a post-truth world and life is pretty meaningless. Like my work is meaningless. My relationships are meaningless. Like da, da, da. if everything, if your perspective is zoned in and focused on the negative and difficult emotions and difficult things in your life, you're not leaving a lot of room for anything else. So you will miss it when joy is around. I think joy is always there for us. And, you know, it's available in certain ways. I think because in the sense of like God's presence is available to us. God is there. But sometimes we don't, we miss God's presence because we're not looking for it. Sure. So it's, so, kind, of, it's kind of like the thought of what you focus on grows. You know, mm-hmm. that's something I use a lot with my coaching clients is let's pick two things to focus on this week that we want to grow from or that we want to learn from or that we want to have expand in our life. I'll use a silly analogy of meal prepping. Let's focus on meal prepping and that will in turn help us reach some of the goals that we have and give us some sort of either accountability or even feelings of success. That's what I really take away and what I'm hearing from you is that focus and that being a little bit of a searcher. I do. I envision a little kid with the flashlight at night, maybe out on the beach, right? And yeah, they're searching, right? And they run across, I don't yep. know, a crab or something. And it's like, oh, they didn't know what they were going to find, but they're out there with that flashlight. So that's yeah, cool. Like, Super right. cool. We yeah. Yeah. So we don't know exactly where it's going to come from how it's going to seize us, but we're living open to it. We're living expectantly. Absolutely. Mm. So great. Before you share with us a few suggestions for gateways to joy, is there anything else you want us to know about joy and about 
all of your studies and research you've done over the years, you have, I mean, literally turned the word inside and out, upside down. And what else do we need to know? Well, I think it's important to know that joy is infectious. We can catch it. If you are listening today and you're just like, yeah, everything I've heard so far is not really me, know that that would have been me for the first year and a half after everyone died. That's what I always like to say. (laughs) After those weeks of hell, that would have been me. And I was very, very nervous to study joy. And I I thought it was sort of unthinkable to continue to write about it and read about it. And then I began to try to think about the relationship between joy and suffering and then to spend time with other people who were also in pain, but who did not have shame. And as we sat in a circle without shame, as we told our stories, uh, certain nights, some people would have more of a capacity for joy than others. And they would share a story or, or something that brought them joy. And as they shared, oftentimes their joy became ours. Mm-hmm. Right. Joy is this shared experience when we allow it to be with others. And so if you're struggling to feel joy in your life, I also encourage you to become a part of a community where you regularly reflect together on times that you've experienced joy and share them with one another. And when we actively rejoice with other people, there is a joy that comes from gathering and from rejoicing together, from binding things together that are good in the world and actually saying, we rejoice over these things. So joy is a group activity. (laughs) Um, It's best done in groups, engaged in groups. Mm -hmm. And also where we're, people are born with different brains and different capacities for joy. And people are born into different kinds of circumstances. Calls to rejoice, you know, as a Christian, call I read the Bible as like a sacred text in my life. And calls to rejoice in the Bible. There's a command in the Bible to rejoice. And that command is y'all. Y'all rejoice. It's not a you rejoice, Coach Steph. You rejoice, Dr. Angela. It's y'all rejoice. Mm. As in, y'all need to come together and rejoice. As Mm. a community, rejoice. Not on me as an individual alone to do the rejoicing. It's within community that I do that. There's a communal nature to joy that I really want to highlight today that says you don't have to do this alone. In fact, I encourage you not to. Also, just maybe seeing like when you're talking, when you're talking about your circle, you're talking about being at the women's prison and doing the Bible studies and stuff specifically. I think around that, you had told me I reluctantly decided to do that and never, ever expecting that you sitting in that circle would eventually bring you joy. And I felt like when you were telling the initial stories about you volunteering there, that you were almost seeing joy through the eyes of someone else and their joy. And you're kind of like, how could this person feel joy in their circumstances? And I think we have to be careful with that because there are some people that feel sad. She has something or they're joyful and I'll never feel that way again. But I I invite you as someone who is maybe going to try to seek joy, anyone who's listening or watching, utilizing someone else who has also had a similar story and seeing joy through their eyes in a way helps us also realize that joy is actually possible and that it is 
something that we can look forward to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we can ask other people to tell us about stories and experiences that have elicited joy for them. And it could be something as simple as tell about a time that you needed help and help arrived. Mm -hmm. Tell about the time that someone was good to you. Mm -hmm. You know, tell me about the last time when you jumped literally for joy. Have you ever done that? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think judging those questions and having access to those kinds of questions you'll discover some interesting things that you may not personally have thought of before. Wow, that's a great idea. Or maybe I should try that. Or or you'll say, nope, yep, that was good for her. That's not going to work for me. That's but right. coming to that understanding that there's a lot of choices out there for us as we're clawing our way back from the valleys and the shadows and that we hope as you continue listening to us, on these podcasts that we bring lots and lots of stories for you to listen to. We have stories from a close friend of ours who had recently lost her sister in an upcoming podcast. And as you said, a friend of mine whose whose son was wrongfully accused of murder and spent a long time as an 18-year-old, almost a year as an 18-year-old in prison. And we have a doctor that's going to help you figure out ways to find joy through trauma. And just lots of really, really cool stories as well sprinkled in. We're excited to share our lives with everyone and have purpose, as you say, in some of our sadness without glorifying it. Dr. Angela, before we close today, I do want you to give us any last minute suggestions you have about a few gateways that we can use or gateways to joy that would yeah. be helpful. Absolutely. And when I say gateways to joy, what I mean are like ways to open ourselves, open our hands, our hearts, our minds to joy. One of them is to live with hope. So hope is Jürgen Moltmann, the great German theologian, he says that hope is the anticipation of joy. Oftentimes people think that the opposite of despair is hope. And I think the ultimate opposite to despair is joy because hope is on its way to joy. And so if you haven't recently, I encourage you to make a vision board of your hopes. And I would actually did it recently for the next two years. You don't have to wait till New Year's Eve to have some sort of resolution for the next year, but really create a vision board. And you could do, if you're a bad drawer, it's fine because I am. Like I'd like stick figures on mine, but like images that really capture my hopes for every aspect of my life, everything from the spiritual to the emotional, to the mental, to the relational, to the physical and vocational aspects of my life. And really capture your hope in an image or in a series of images and words and put it somewhere in your home. Living with hope is being someone who lives open to meaning, truth, beauty, goodness, finding you. Then secondly, I would encourage you to practice gratitude. There's lots of ways to practice gratitude. We have gratitude journals these days, you know, writing down three things that you're grateful for every morning, those sorts of things. But gratitude can also be incredibly simple. It can be gratefulness before you eat a meal. I'm grateful for the hands that helped to get this food from the fields to this table. I'm grateful that I have food to eat right now. For me, it's upon rising that I like to practice gratitude, but you can also do it upon going to sleep. But I encourage you to integrate into your routine of your life some way of practicing gratitude. For me, it's guided meditation. 
I listen while my coffee's brewing. I listen to a guided meditation and I'm encouraged to choose something every day to be grateful for. And sometimes it's as small as like, I'm grateful for the coffee, the warm coffee that's being brewed right now so that I'm going to get to drink. (laughs) I'm grateful for another day where God's mercies are new every morning. I'm grateful that I get to start again today, right? I'm grateful that my story is still being written. Those sorts of things. So I like to start my day with gratitude while my coffee is brewing. You can do it a lot of different ways, but gratitude is an excellent way to become more open to joy because you're looking for those eliminations. You're looking for the something more. You're looking for the goodness. You're looking for things to rejoice over. You're looking for God too, right? And then the final one that I'll give you is celebrating the truth. Truth-telling is a beautiful way to become more open to joy. Truth-telling, oftentimes people think is like, when I, re- when I tell you what I really think about you, like coach staff, truth-telling is when I tell you what I really think about you in some sort of <laughs> counterfeit kind of love. But Christine Pohl, she's an ethicist, she says that truth-telling is when we affirm what is good and true about the world, about others. And we can look at our children, at our fa- other family members, at our friends, our coworkers, and on a regular basis, we can find things to affirm about them that we know to be true. I really think that there's something about doing that for others that then brings it back to us, right? I think that that's, there's a reciprocal nature to it that's hard to describe, but um, it's an incredible thing to look at someone that you care about, that you know, that you see regularly, a neighbor, somebody that you worship next to, and to say, hey, I noticed this thing about you, and I just want to say, and you affirm it in them. I noticed that you're a person of incredible hospitality, and whenever someone moves into the neighborhood, you're the first to greet them and to ask them about their lives and to tell them that we all have each other's backs. I noticed that in work meetings, that you listen to the ideas of other people, and you encourage them for them, and I want to encourage you for doing that because I noticed that you do that, and it's awesome. Or just very simply looking at people that we care about and saying, your life matters. Your life matters to me. Mm. I see you. Mm. And I'm grateful for you. Mm. So truth telling, gratitude, hope, all gateways to joy. Mm. Great advice. Really awesome advice. It's been wonderful talking about joy today and hearing more about all of the things that you learned. Dr. Angela, you are a plethora of knowledge and we are really glad that that this podcast is the reflection of the joy that we have with working together. We always end our podcast with asking our guests, as we said earlier, how has joy found you recently? I'll start and just say that it has been an absolute blast over the last six months. You'll hear in another episode, or maybe you already have, Angela, my story about how we even started doing this thing that we're doing now and how much I am enjoying it. Hopefully shows on my face and in my voice because it has been truly joyful to be able to work with my little sister. Dr. Angela, how has joy found you recently? I'll just go with what you just said and add to it a little bit. This is one of the passion projects that I've been engaging in lately. So what I've been doing basically over the last six months is restoring, reviving, resurrecting, however you want to say it, 
some longings that I've had since I was a little kid, some dreams that I've had for my life, particularly related to creating. I've always been a pretty creative person and and wanted to had sort of, yeah, just certain passion projects that I am going, hey, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return to these and I'm going to work on these again. And that's bringing a lot of joy to my life, just restoring some old dreams and living toward them again and sort of living open to, to how they, how they're all going to come together. I don't know, but yeah. that's, it's just been fun. It's been fun to do work for the sake of passion, to do a few projects simply for the sake of really wanting to do them and loving the work that's mm-hmm. involved and the meaning mm-hmm. that's attached to it rather than for the sake of something else. Yeah. It's brought me a lot of happiness. And as we talk about it with other people, they just say, this is such a needed thing. Uh, Dr. Angela and I like to think that we are in it to disrupt the grief industry. We are here to find ways for people to truly come back from grief in a powerful way, not just surviving grief, not just saying thriving from grief, but to feel really anchored and Mm -hmm. purposeful and to feel as though we count again in a world where for a long time we felt like nothing was going to be the same and we weren't going to count for anything. Thank you again, Dr. Angela, for being here. I do want to tell everyone not to forget to head over to our website, The Grief Sisters. We do have a free gift for you. It's a five-day audio grief meditation that helps you manage anxiety. And it includes a 10-page printable journal that walks you through each of the five days and provides a way to help you track each day. You get to listen to my voice <laughs> and you can find another for good or worse, right? You can find another. It's really good. Thank you. You can find another audio version of that as well on episode three, season one of this podcast. And I'll turn it over to you, Ange. Yeah, I had to find the post-show finish because I want to try to get it right. <laughs> because this is an important part of, we like to close every episode with these words because we really do think that becoming open to joy is possible, as we were saying earlier, in suffering and grief, and that especially it might be more profound and deeper in your grief and suffering. So we close each episode like this. Thank you for joining us today, family. We are grateful to you and for you. Until next time, let's try to stay open to joy, because seemingly against all odds, No matter who you are or what your circumstances are, joy can always, always find you.